Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it, to think of... Uh, so there's someone on from Calgary or Alberta, people from Ontario province, people from Canada, in uh, from um, the USA, from Alabama, from Washington State, people on from the UK here, different parts, from Ireland, from the far east side of uh, Poland, Lublin, um, beautiful city, um, and from Bielsko and other parts near the Czech border. And uh, it's amazing, just different people. And there's our brother has come on from Holland. He's now in Holland. And then... Um, Amir, so different ones, and praise God. <clears throat> now, when I approach these meetings, um, I have to say it was the same for me last night. I had a meeting at midnight, my time, last night, which ended about three o'clock this morning. And I... I come often with four or five things, subjects, matters that lie very much on my heart. And perhaps I'll mention something right from the beginning of my spiritual experience. When the Lord had baptized me in the spirit, I was still working in industry and um, I'd always, I, I'd always respected incredibly. I, I was raised in a church background. Um, my mother was a Baptist. My father came from a, a denomination. He was called a Baptist too, but he, he went to something called the Christian Brethren. And they loved the scripture. Um, and... So in my earliest days, uh, I went along to two types of churches because my mother went to one church and my father went to another. They were not united as far as churches were concerned. And I went along sometimes with my mother to that church and I found an educated gentleman uh, usually with his collar around the wrong way and giving a sermon and a very well arranged service and uh, in a very ornate and beautiful building. And then I'd go along with, with dad and I would find myself in a much simpler setting, a very ordinary building uh, with nothing ornate or beautiful at all. And I found men speaking, sometimes for 10 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes, sometimes perhaps half an hour. And I knew that these men were, some of them were from, a, they were electricians or plumbers or one or two of them were uh, accountants and uh, I found something very 
wonderful. It, it spoke to me as a young boy, really. And um, there was something about the reverence, the um, the adoration, the stillness in both places. There was a kind of an attitude that was not raucous, not noisy, but uh, there was a reverent attitude, a reverence, something very, very beautiful to me that spoke to me um, with words that were, were deeper than words, an atmosphere to be felt, and God. And I can never remember a time in my life where a certain verse was not in my heart, um, I don't know where it ever came from. It must have come from God. But the verse was, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. And some of you will know that that verse comes, I didn't know where it came from. As I say, I don't know. I, I can never remember a time in my life where it wasn't very real to me. Somehow, I was not my own. But I was bought with a price. Do you know where the verse comes from? Um, do you know where it comes from? Someone... Uh, nod if you do. It comes from one of the Corinthian letters. I will not tell you any more. You'll have to read both of them to find it. But both of those letters. But to me, a key verse. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. And that's so important that we grasp um, the church is not our own. Um, the, you may have a leader or leaders in your churches. Um, and, you know, one of the greatest problems that can often afflict leaders is, that, is the issue of ownership. They own, they want to own, they want the church to go in the direction of their gifts or of what they think church should be. But the church is not our own. And you all know that the church was born on a day. And I think every one of us knows that the church was born of the spirit. And the day that it was born was, is called the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, of course, is a word that is to do with the 50th day uh, in the, in the Jewish calendar. And, um, after the Passover. And the church was born that day, and it was born of the Holy Spirit. 
So it was the day of the spirit. No spirit, no church, just a society that may be a religious society, uh, even Christian, but only put a small C in front of that. The day of the spirit, the day of Pentecost, that's the day in which we live. The day of Pentecost has continued to this day. No spirit, no church. You may have evangelism without the spirit, but it will never produce the church. You may have mission without the spirit, but it will not, it will not produce the church. It, the church comes by the Holy Spirit, but it's not just the day of the Spirit. You know, in your Bible, you will read about the day of salvation. So in the second letter of Corinthians, for instance, now is the day of salvation. I would now a, a day is made up of 24 hours, isn't it? And how many seconds is each day made up of? You will discover that you are defeated um, and your defeat will have in your life, if you're defeated, you will be defeated by looking back uh, with regret, or you will be defeated by looking forward with anxiety. You look forward and you worry. How's this going to happen? How's that going to happen? What if, what if, what if? And then some of us are defeated by the past. But we live and today, and I'll tell you one of the secrets, and every time I think of my wife, this is one of the things that often really I have learned from her. She lives now. She lives now. She doesn't live in the past with its regrets, its mistakes, and its successes. And she does not live in the future anxious about what are we going to do tomorrow or what happens if thus and thus. Now is the day of salvation. So we are living in the day of salvation. And the only moment you can be saved is the moment that you've got now that I've got now, now, this second, this minute, this couple of hours, extending on now, now. And the Spirit of God, for this is the day of the Spirit as well, isn't it? Um, so the day of the Spirit, and the day of salvation are coincidental. 
They are utterly connected together. I know these are simple things, but they need to be said. And, uh, you know, one of the things, for instance, my wife and I were talking about today, we were in a lovely meeting this morning, but one of the things about that meeting was that none of the younger ones have any idea of being spontaneous in the moment. In the moment. It all has to be measured. It all has to be arranged. It all has to be programmed. It all has to be set out. And within the framework, so if they are not uh, in the program that is arranged, they are utterly still and silent. No hands are raised in praise. No spontaneous prayer rises from their mouths. And it is a quite remarkable thing to those of us who know the spirit and the spontaneity of the spirit and and so everything becomes very stereotypical remarkable things you see now is the day of salvation now is the moment be saved now be saved in your thinking be saved in your meeting now. Be saved. Be saved by the operations of the Spirit. And, of course, there's another day, isn't there, that um, we do not live in the legal day. You say, Bernard, what do you mean by that? The church does not live in the legal day. The Jews lived in the legal day, the day of the law. You do this on Sabbath. You do not do that on Sabbath. You do this on the day prescribed for atonement. You do not do that. Mm. Everything was arranged legally and so they lived in this measured approach to life the day of the law the day of the legal approach to life which has now given way to the day of grace now law was gracious it was gracious of god to give them the law you all understand that law was not against grace it was an act of god's grace just like you parents when your little toddlers were growing up when they were beginning to crawl around you were very very gracious to your children if you happen to have one of those log fires in the house or something like that you were very gracious to your children that you told them no you're not to touch that hot and you made a law they were not to go within three feet of that 
And that was gracious of you, wasn't it? Um, you may never have thought of it in that kind of terms. And it's very gracious, I think, of the government to uh, arrange for things called traffic lights, though some of us might get thoroughly annoyed when we keep catching them on red every time. Um, but, you know, it's very gracious of the government to give us, it's one of the things I... I have always sort of thought, well, Lord, you know, law is an act of your grace. Thank you for grace, a gracious government to set certain boundaries around. But, you know, we live not only in the day of the spirit, not only in the day uh, of salvation, the day what is God is doing is saving, not regulating. He's not regulating our lives. He's not trying to prevent us doing some sin by setting boundaries around us. We are living in the day of salvation, <laughs> which, you know, he wants to save me today from impurity from wasting my life, from, you know, he wants to save me today from being subject to misery, depression, um, demonic activity. He wants to save me today. It's, and you understand, it's a very wonderful thing. Let your mind run on it. Let your heart think on it. And you'll realize how God is for us. You know, he's wanting to save us. He, he's wanting to save me from, oh, isn't it wonderful how he wants to save, 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 save. And all by the operation of the Spirit and all in sheerest grace. Grace is, of course, not free because, of course, Jesus in his death and everything that he did for us paid the price that we living in the day of grace. And not only is it the day of grace, but it's the day when we can receive grace upon the grace. Now, this is the church's habitat. That's why I'm talking about this. That's why I'm starting this way. This is our Habitat. This is our day. This is the way in, you know, this day of salvation. Imagine being saved. I mean, how many, some of you young parents that are on with your children, you're helping to educate your children. They go off to school and you meet mums who are utter slaves to this world. You wait at the school gates for the children at the end of the day and you're looking at worried mothers who are utter slaves. They are nothing more than glorified taxi drivers because they're enslaved to the world's idolatry of education, utterly enslaved, and they don't know. And their husbands are utterly enslaved 
to the uh, obtaining of a sufficient wage. They will corrupt themselves. They will lie in their business dealings in order they will tread upon one another to climb the ladder so that they're utterly enslaved. It's an amazing thing to begin to look at life and realize what Jesus came to do to save us from enslavement to the world. Now, does that mean to say that you don't um, you, you 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 don't educate your children, you don't uh, encourage them to go to university if that's their bent, and so on and so forth? Everything must be subjected to the spirit, to the way of salvation, to God's ways. You are not called to lead your children into bondage. That's quite a tall order. Um, you know, it, it requires a dependency that is profound and uh, a, a revelation. Uh, I will tell you, I'll throw this out to you, um, something for you to think about. When the so-called enlightenment came four or five hundred years ago, it brought about something that has affected the church deeply. And, uh, you know, when the Lord called men to be foundations to his churches, you remember he called fishermen and he called a tax collector and he talked he called a political activist and he called at least one brilliant intellect named Paul. And you will all understand that he did something fundamental. And I'll, I'll look at this with you um, in Galatians chapter one. He did something so important. To, and he did it to all of them, but in particular, the man named Paul tells us about it. And this is what um, Paul says. So we're talking about salvation. We're talking about grace. We're talking about the day in which we live, which is the day of the spirit. And here's Paul one of the foundation men of the church. And um, this is what he says. I marvel. Well, let's, let's read down. Just enjoy it. Paul, verse 1, chapter 1 of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me. So this is how Paul starts. He says, not from men, the origin of my ministry is God, Jesus Christ, 
and God the Father who raised him from the dead. No one should preach in the church who does not have their own experience of the resurrection power of God. That's why Paul talks that way. That's why he says, I'm not an apostle from man or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is our habitat, the habitat of resurrection, the habitat of power. Um, you know, powerless, powerlessness is all around us. Paul was a man who knew the power of resurrection in his own life. He had been raised from the dead. And he's writing to the churches in Galatia. So there's a number of them to which he is writing. And this is the first word he says to them, grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where he's living. He doesn't want to minister law to them. He doesn't want to minister bondage to them. He wants to them to know that it's grace and peace that's coming from the Father and the Lord Jesus who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And you may ask, well, why are you talking to us like this? Then it's because my brothers and sisters Jesus came, he gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Not that we may Christianize it and Christianize its practices and incorporate them into our meetings and our gatherings. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, he came to deliver us from this present evil age. It's so evil. You know, the way it thinks, the way it acts, its humor, its politics, its evil age. He came to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I had occasion yesterday, and I was almost going to preach on it tonight, because as I say, when I come to these meetings, I have four or five things that are running in my heart. And... Uh, but I had occasion yesterday to be thinking in Isaiah chapter 6. Many of you know, will know Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah died. Do you remember that? I saw also the Lord. 
high and lifted up. And, and I was thinking about this King Isaiah. And I was thinking about our age in which we live. And I was thinking about the fact that Isaiah had been king in Israel for about 52 years or something like that. And, you know, it had been a, a period of incredible growth in the nation, of success, um, of wealth, of prosperity. And uh, Isaiah had been endowed with many skills and many wisdoms, so many areas of wisdom, so that he was able to be a great warrior and builder. And he'd done all sorts of things and brought success. And then, oh dear, you may remember that he got too big for his boots. And he, king as he was, he marched into the presence of God, the place where only the priests could go reverently. And he tried to offer incense. He tried to worship. And he was struck by God. You know, it was very wonderful um, because some of the priests uh, with the high priest marched in and said, you get out. You get out. You may be king, but you get out. And they were courageous men. Now let's get this stuff out of the house of God. Now you get out and he he was angry and God smote him with leprosy and he in his forehead and um, he had to live outside the city and uh, his son Jotham became his regent so he could no longer reign from within the palace he was outside he was a leper and, you know, uh, he just spoke to me last night as I was spending a couple of hours thinking about him, actually. And uh, uh, it just spoke to me of just the pride of man that can defile the house of God, the church of God, that we think that we can just go in and blast around and offer incense our way and you know we so need the prophetic voice in the churches today that says no you can't do that out out it's got to go and then of course you've got Isaiah 6 haven't you in the year that King Isaiah died and dear Dear Isaiah, he's the prophet, a man familiar with the palace and palace practices. And did you know that Isaiah prophesied for at least 50 years? Did you know that? Messenger of God, the evangelical prophet, they call him. And uh, 
he brought the heart of God uh, to them. It was quite wonderful. And he'd already begun to prophesy a bit. But when King Isaiah died, he said, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. And everything that Isaiah saw was filled with reverence. Filled with reverence. The house of God was filled. With reverence, holiness. And the, he heard the living creatures, the seraphim, didn't he? There were a number of them. And you remember they had six wings, it says, and they covered their feet and they covered their faces and, and they flew with the other two. And, and I'm sure you all remember what they were saying. You remember what they were saying. They were constantly crying out, weren't they? Holy, holy, holy. And uh, you know, it, it's a remarkable thing. There was a release of the message of salvation from such a man who saw who saw in and saw those creatures and heard that sound and felt the shakings. And you can read this at your leisure. Um, and it's not just a matter of reading it, but taking time. And uh, the evangelical prophet, most quoted in the New Testament of all the pro prophets and by Jesus and this is where his ministry has its roots. Uh, the day that he heard, and you remember what he said? Do, do you remember what he said? Uh, he, he said, oh, I'm a man, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips unclean lips and in the holy presence of God you know <laughs> he felt his uncleanness I'm I'm leprous not with the same leprosy as King Isaiah who's just died but a leprosy of the heart and that it was the day of salvation unto him because there flew to him one of the one of those amazing living creatures and with a live coal this has touched your lips remember he was a prophet you know i want you to know this by the way so this prophet the most keen thing in his life that should I say was the the most key thing of his life was his lips, his mouth. And it was there where he felt his sin most keenly that the Lord cleansed him. And you will find that 
in the presence of God. For for many of us, it's not our lips, it's not our mouth. It may be erotic things in the heart, in the mind. It may be filth and, you know, of certain kinds. It may be pride in your intellect, you know, and it's there that you feel. Because when you come into the presence of God, and I want to say this about church, you see, because I'm really talking about church. Church is a place of revelation. Church is a place where you meet God. Church is a place where you hear God. Church is God's house upon earth. Church is not my place. Church is the place of salvation. Church is the place of the spirit. Church is the place where you feel convicted and convinced and where God cleanses, cleanses. You know, I was in a meeting not so long ago where the word of challenge came and I saw on the face of at least one young man the reason why he hasn't got through with God yet because of his pride. Don't expect to be filled with the spirit. You are stupid to ask God to fill you with the spirit if you're not prepared to be taken over by that spirit. To be taken over, to be possessed, to lose your headship of your own life and to put it into the hands of the Holy Spirit so that he interprets to you the choices of Jesus, the will of God. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul before he was an apostle. We're reading it here in Galatians. And you know that it's rather rare in the New Testament, probably as Mark does a series of studies on the Acts um, in the houses coming up, we hope, in the group um, in our area here. You know leads a group and conversational Bible studies. We need to come into the book of Acts. And there are some things that happen three times. And one of the things that happens so that we get it absolutely clear is that Paul gives his testimony three times. Each with different uh, facets and emphases. You get it in chapter 9 when it happened. You get it in chapter 22. When he recounts it, and you get it in chapter 26, and he meets God, and he is in the dust, and he's blinded, and he's led by the hand, and he of giant intellect is made a child, and he's, a, he's one of the foundations of the church. 
That's how it comes. And if you want a church in your area, my brother and sister, this is the way it must happen. Last night on the Zoom that I was speaking, I was talking about one of the secrets of prayer. And I was talking a little bit about that wondrous love of the Father for us. He knows what you have need of. Stop praying about yourself. He knows. Stop praying interminably about your children. He knows. Stop praying about your jobs and your income. He knows your father loves you. You know, stop, stop circling around the prayer list. The Holy Spirit knows all about your weaknesses. Romans 8. He knows all about your weaknesses. Don't focus on them. You know, sometimes I've sat in prayer meetings. I mentioned this, excuse me for mentioning again. My dear wife went faithfully to a prayer meeting regularly. For nearly seven years when we were home, I went two or three times and never went back. I said, I'm not going there again. A charismatic fellowships prayer meeting, I never went there again. Because they never prayed on the things that we're really to be praying about. They were praying about somebody's cancer and somebody's this and somebody's that. And we felt absolutely legally bound to go down the list of all the concerns. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray from time to time for these things. But I tell you, we got to get beyond all that to pray the kind of prayers that apostles pray, that really love the church and a burden for the church and a concern for the church and realize that the church, you know, and I touched last night just briefly on the two great prayers in Ephesians 1 and 3. Oh, to pray for the inner man of the church. That's the, that's the third chapter. The inner man, oh, your spirit in the inner man of that church. If the spirit of God gets hold of the inner man of a Baptist church not far from where I live, if the spirit of God got hold of that, they'd rip the rainbow down off the, the door. The spirit of God is not strengthening that church in their inner man. They're compromised, being led by a compromised minister. This is the seriousness of where we're at, brothers and sisters. And dear, the house of God, Isaiah, he heard God 
there. He was touched by God there, right at the seat of his sin. And he knew the power of the cleansing operation of the fire of God. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Right at the point of his need. He was in the presence of God. You cannot perpetuate your sin in the presence of God. Neither can you excuse it. Amen. And uh, that seraphim flew right to the place bringing the, the cleansing. Be your clean clean amen this is how the work of god is born in places i think i had the occasion i don't know recently somewhere i was talking a little bit about um abel how do we know that abel's sacrifice that god approved of it Well, work backwards, will you? Work backwards. Work backwards from, say, how do we know that God approved Moses and Aaron and that tabernacle in the wilderness? How do we know that God said, yes, I'll live there? How do we know? Are you... Uh, have you got the answer? F I R E. That's how we know. Fire came down. He was saying, Amen. Oh, these are my people. They've done what I said. <laughs> now work backwards to Abel. I'm quite sure. That the fire came down on Abel's sacrifice, and there was no fire with Cain's fire. And what about Solomon? How do we know that God approved and said, Yes, I'll live there? I want to go there. I want to go down there. I want to work my works there. How do we know Solomon had built according to the pattern and the priests were in order and the sacrifices were there by their hundreds and maybe thousands? And amen. And we know that God approved because the fire came down. Glory to God. Don't you want it? Don't you want it? (laughs) Amen. Not some pettifogging so-called salvation where people, (laughs) you go back to their sinning next week. You know. And oh, that day of Pentecost. What a day, eh? How do we know that Jesus' sacrifice was enough? And that those who believed on the Son, who were waiting, oh, blessed men and women, blessed men and women, eh? Uh, you know, they 
How do we know that God says, yes, I'll come and I'll, I'll fill them. I'll come gladly. Oh, I've been looking forward to this day. I'm going to bring the day of salvation. I'm going to bring in the day of the spirit. I'm going to bring in the day of grace where I'll do this for, oh, man. Uh, we know because the fire came, didn't it? The fire came. Filled all the house where they were sitting and fire resting on their heads. Symbolic, of course, just saying something to us. They would have understood they were Jews. We don't, we don't read about that in Cornelius's household because they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles by background. They didn't need that, uh, 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 that accessory of, a, of, a, of a, an, a, an added confirmation. This is God. But to those Jews on the day of Pentecost, they, their minds would have gone back to Solomon's temple and to the tabernacle of Moses. Yes, their minds would have gone back and they would have known that the fire of God coming down would have meant that their sin was dealt with and burned up because in their background there was there was Sodom and there was Gomorrah and there was the command of God when you go into the land of promise you you ought to burn everything up yeah sins dealt with you see these are the precious things aren't they of the Lord and you know, when I am reading this Galatians 1 chapter and seeing Paul and, you know, Paul says in the sixth verse, he says, I marvel uh, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. Yes, you're turning away to a different gospel, different gospel. Now, I think this is the gospel that gripped me. I remember a day, it comes back to my mind, <laughs> when, do you know, when we were at Bible college, um, every morning there was morning chapel. I think there was about 150 students in the faculty and um, men, women, and we had to take our turn to to take the morning chapel. It lasted 15 minutes, I recall. And, of course, the whole curriculum was mapped out. And, um, you know, I can remember one of the years where it was my turn. And uh, uh, what I was given was some verses. Uh, from the book of Genesis, and probably I can't find them now just as I'm looking in my Bible, but um, it, it, was, it was to do with this. And I remember it so clearly because I really got fired up and I got told up told off afterwards by the lecturers that I got too excited about it. It was in the book of Genesis anyway, where it says that uh, Jacob 
dwelt in the land in which his fathers had sojourned. Uh, mm. Jacob dwelt in the land. I think it was Jacob or it might have been Isaac dwelt. It must have been Jacob. He dwelt in the land where his fathers sojourned. Now you say, well, isn't that obscure? But I got really excited about it because, <laughs> you know, it just gripped me. I thought, Father, that's exactly what I want to do. Oh, Lord, I want to dwell. I want to dwell. I want to live. You know, where Oswald Chambers sojourned and uh, where, uh, you know, <laughs> Paul sojourned, where they'd gone before. I wanted to dwell in the place where uh, General Booth had been. You know, you've heard of him, haven't you? I wanted to, <laughs> of course you have, and and John Wesley. And, you know, these are the things that gripped a young man's heart. I hope they grip yours. And they caused prayer and longing, you know, and and in a way I've never turned away from that gospel to, to dwell to live in the place of fire, to live in the place. And, you know, as you begin to go through the book of Acts, you know, repent that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, for the promise is unto you, unto you. And dear, dear Paul, he's going to come on and he says, it's not another gospel. Let's let's rush on. But he, he said it's a perversion. Verse eight, he says, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we've preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches to you another gospel than what you've received, let him be accursed. That's strong language. Do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, Gives you a clue about Paul's earlier life. If I still pleased men, there had been a time in his life where he'd done that. He'd been busy pleasing men. He said, if I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that gospel, the, the gospel which was preached by me, is not according to man. Here he goes again. I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's so hot on revelation. 
when he prays his mighty prayer uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, he prays that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will be electrifying that church, vivifying that church freshly, that they won't settle down in traditions and doctrines and systems, which they did. They, alas, they did. That it won't just become the ordinary thing again that delights the ears to hear again and doesn't change the life. You know, he said, I did, I wasn't taught it. I didn't get it by education. You see, one of the problems in the last four or five hundred years is education has replaced revelation. You be careful about this. Let us all be careful about this. Conferences are just having supermarket choices of the seminars you want to go for. Get educated by this or there. I tell you, God wants to speak to us in such a way that the sword comes out of his mouth and pierces down to our depths. He wants to bring us into his presence where we're down on our knees and hearing his heart and touched by the live gold from off the altar, burning up. And this is church, living in the day of the Spirit, day of salvation, day of grace. This is what grace wants to do for us. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't taught it, but it was revealed to me. You've heard of my former conversation, he says in verse 13. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and I tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being much more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, you know, I, I'd almost like to dwell on all these things. When it pleased God, what does it please God to do? When it pleased God to separate you, brother, separate you from your mother's womb. Yes, look back. Bernard, look back separated from my mother's womb. Do you know that Hazel and I were offered a green card to go live in the United States? It was about 1997. We, yes, we won the lottery. <laughs> Some, you know, not, uh, not money lottery, but the Americans had a system of, you know, a lottery. And, uh, well, we could have gone. Someone said to us, one of the brothers in the States said, why don't you, why don't you go into the lottery? You know, you, you, you qualify. Did you know that? I didn't even know we qualified. And, um, <laughs> and so taking his advice, you know, we, and, and sure enough, we got the documents back. There you are. Green card in your come. And why ever didn't we go? 
because we were priorly separated to the will of God. And God didn't say to us, this is part of my will for you. We were separated to a higher will. Separated from mother's womb. Do you feel that? You know, you must confess it, my brother, my sister, because you know it even began before then. You know that you were chosen from before the foundation of the world. You do know that. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. You're special. You're chosen. You're called. You're called to God. You're called to be his bond slave. You're called. You have the right to be filled with the Spirit. You have the right that he with the living fire of his spirit touches you in the place of your sin that's been dogging you for so long and that you know his power has broken that sin and and burned it up and made you someone and he and paul goes on doesn't he and when he says this, he called me through his grace. It pleased him, verse 16, to reveal his son in me. And if you've got a Bible that has a weak translation of that one, then says, reveal his son to me, you scrub it out. Because it's not right. It's the translation of men who don't understand. Let it be known to all of us that a man preaches the Christ he sees in his heart. Paul says, he revealed his son in me. I look inside me, Paul could have said, and I see the face of Jesus there. I know his presence in me. I know his power. I know his fellowship in me. I'm growing in it. Paul would have said, I'm still growing in it. I'm still, but this is the secret to my quiet heart, my joyful heart, my steady heart, my singing heart when I'm accompanied by Silas in the prison cell in Philippi, tied up in the stocks. It's because Christ in me, you see, he called me through his grace and he revealed his son in me that I might preach him. Amen. Not the Christ out of a book, but the Christ in him that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia 
and returned again to Damascus. There was something so compelling about what God had done. I was sitting upstairs this afternoon, you know, and I often feel like this in the midst of things. Lord, Father, what should I say tonight? What should I say tonight? You know, oh, Father, please help me. And you know, that compelling to quietness again, that compelling not to confer with this or that, and even to confer with my own mind, but the compelling to be quiet before God and just wait there and look at him and consider him again. And it's so tremendous so that he increasingly fills your vision and grants to you a vivifying that is of another order. And, you know, this, this, is, this is the way that Isaiah, Paul, this is the day in which we live. This is the day of the church. I believe this to be the day of the fellowship that, you know, with Mark. And, you know, this is the day. I don't know whether I'm putting it very well. God alone knows. You know, but it's the day of fire. It's the day of Pentecost. It's the day of grace. This is what grace does. This is church that we're talking about. Um, this is the place of re revelation. This is, you know, I, I would encourage all of you men, especially you precious men, you younger men who have the privilege of meeting with others, let your hearts go to God. Be a fool for Jesus' sake. Don't, don't think that you've got to fill half an hour or an hour. Let your hearts go in prayerfulness. Let your hearts go in the word. If he, he quickens a phrase to you, let the fire burn in your heart. Let the fire burn. Those of you who have no fellowship like this, and you might wonder, why I didn't pray, why I didn't go to that prayer meeting through those years. I'll tell you why. Because, you know, I, I, I long to be able to pray with those who, with whom I was really one. Really one. You know, that, that, that were just one. To call on God. Oh, your church, Lord. Oh, your fire. Can I ask you, as you sit there, do you feel that in some way you kind of are one with dear Abel worshipping there? Do, do, you, do you feel something like that? Or Isaiah, do you feel... 
yes, I, I know that that's, that's my habitat. You know, those, those worshipping creatures. Do you feel one with Isaiah there? And you know how the conversation goes on, don't you? Oh, he hears God, doesn't he? Isaiah, his mouth is touched. He's a fire. And and the next thing he hears, he's there in the presence of God. And he hears God in soliloquy. God talking to himself. You know, God talking to himself. How tremendous is that? You know, one of Mark's favorite verses <laughs> is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We are called into the fellowship of his son. Am I right? Anyway. It's verse nine, actually. Oh, thank you. It's but nine. it's the, the rest of the quote was yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Amen. And you know, dear Isaiah, he's called into the fellowship and he hears God speaking. Who? <laughs> Who shall go for us? Who shall we send? Do, do you remember? Do you remember this? This is God's heart. He says, come on, church. <laughs> you know, come on, young man. Come on. And you can hardly believe it. You know, come on, working man, working woman. Come on, housewife. You know, well, that's a horrible phrase nowadays, isn't it? I'm supposed to use housewife. Oh, dear, oh, dear. What a bunch of nonsense men talk, cooking up all that nonsense. You know, come on, all of you, come and share my fellowship. Come and care about the things I care about. Come on, come on, Paul. Come on, Paul, I'll deal with all your old murderous thoughts, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Do you know that's the old version about dear old Mo, dear old Paul going breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Whenever I see one of those old trucks breathing out all its fumes, I think of that verse, you know, <laughs> defiling everything. And the, come on, Paul, I separated you from your mother's womb. I'll save you from yourself. Come on. Come on, let's see where I can take you. Maybe I'm gonna, uh, maybe I'm gonna take you into realms of prayer together with others in Exeter. Let's start an Exeter prayer meeting up that gets hold of God for His churches. Let's start up a. a, a do you know what I mean? Let God, because when you're called into fellowship like this, you you got to get to prayer. When you know you've got to come into this of his ministry. This is where mission comes from. It doesn't come from some enthusiast coming and speaking in your Bible college and trying to get you all roused up to go into all the earth. It comes from fellowship with God. <laughs> 
That's how it worked for, for Isaiah. Who shall I go? Who will go for us? I think this is wonderful myself. God calls us into this kind of fellowship with himself, with his concerns. And uh, dear Isaiah says, yes, yes. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll do it. I'll, I'll go. All right, then you can go. They won't listen. There are reasons for that I won't come on to at the moment. They won't listen. They won't listen, but you speak. Their hearts are hard, but that's all right. That's how it was in those days. Let me tell you that one of the reasons for that, of course, was that the gospel was not yet then for the Jew. And, but now the restrictions gone, you know, there's people are here, people are here. So whatever have I said, whatever have I said, well, I'll sum it up with this. What day are you living in? Are you living in the day of the spirit? The day of grace, the day of salvation. This is our day. This is the church's day. This is the, the this is our habitat. This is the day of revelation. This is the day when he wants to make sure that we're burning with the holy fire that comes from heaven. This is the day. This is our day. I'm not going to live in the day of conformity to the world. I'm not going to live in the day of conformity to tradition. I'm not going to live in the day of legalism. I'm not going to live in that day. I'm going to live in the Lord's day. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Yes, today is the Lord's day. Isn't that wonderful? It's the Lord's day. For the Lord to do what he will. It's not the day of Biden. It's not the day of Putin. It's not the day of the Chinese. It's not the day for us who understand. <clears throat> it's the Lord's day. The day to do his willing. To go about his business. To deepen in our knowledge of him. The day when the church is... It's the day of the building of his church. Amen. What day are you living in? What day am I living in? Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's get some knees that are a bit worn down with a callus or two. Because we're beginning to realize, oh Lord, it's your day. It's not the devil's day. It's not the devil's day. It's your day. Do your work in this day. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Take up, Lord, our poor words, Lord. May it inspire and quicken a prayerfulness, a worshipfulness, a hope, living faith. You said that faith comes. May it May it move us to prayer, Lord. May it move us to a release. May it move not just us, Lord, but those we're amongst. We love the people, Lord. We love the people. Oh, thank you for this day in which we live. Thank you, I don't live in a day where I have to go to the temple and take some chickens or a lamb. And I have to lay my hands on its head or something. Thank you that I don't live in a day where I have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem like a good Jewish male. Thank you, Lord, that I live in your day. We thank you that we live in your day. Oh, Lord Jesus, you know my heart. If it were possible, I'd go into every person's house here. And if it were possible, I'd kind of try and, and fill every house with your presence. Every room every place but it's not possible Lord it's not for man to do it it's for you and so we give you our houses we give you our time we give you our jobs we give you our days Lord come into the house even as I pray and pray that I think of the house of one lady who's here on the zoom come into the house Lord come into the place where there have been devils working and uncleanness working come there make it clean Make it a clean place. Oh, Lord. Blessed Lord. And, uh, oh, Lord, we come to you. Come and fill the meetings, the meetings in the scout hut. Lord, in Bobby Tracy, come in the midst there. And the house meetings that are, are going to start soon. Oh, Jesus. And let your spirit of revelation work mightily, we pray. Oh, Lord. Dear Lord. Have mercy on us all, we pray. Glorify yourself in us. Oh, Lord, it's a shame we have to stop, but we do.
Think of Balahadreen in Ireland. Think of, oh, so many places that are represented here, Poland. Amen, Lord. Amen. You know, if anyone here sees something, sees the day, you know, really sees it, say something to it. I see, Lord. Yes, Lord. I see. Amen. Yes. Yeah, we just encourage others to respond to the Lord, just to uh, unmute yourself and lead in response to the Lord. It all must go. Mm. It all must go. Mm. Nothing. Nothing must not be poured out. It was the whole sacrifice and the blood shed, poured out. Behold, he who and she who goes on with God, <clears throat> it must all be poured out. Nothing held back. No hurt, nourished in a corner of the life. No mistake fed by memory. But all must be poured out. Then the man of God and the woman of God they go on from outpouring to outpouring for the heavenly outpouring, the outpouring that comes from above, comes in and flows into those who pour themselves out upon earth. Those who are clogged, they shall impede. And so I, the Lord, your God, work to bring you to a totally outpoured state. No dream must be held, no nourished up thoughts of self-aggrandizement must be held in the mind. No bitterness allowed to lodge, no weed allowed to grow. The ground turned over, the roots removed. All brown, all brown. The plough passing through the deeps of the heart. Hallelujah. These are the ways of the Lord. 
the way has been cut right through. For there is one who poured out to the uttermost. Till there was nothing left to pour out. Nothing more to give. Nothing at all. And all sin was laid upon him. All your sin and all the hurts and all the spitefulnesses and all the foolishnesses and mistakes and sin of man, the mm. pride, mm. everything was laid upon him. He poured himself out unto death. Nothing more could have been given. For there was nothing more to give, emptied. And thus the ministry of the Spirit comes to you in that same Spirit. The ministry of the Word of God comes to you with that same call. For you shall be perpetually hampered if you are not fully poured out. And thus you are led to be poured out, and even the only one in the things of God, they don't cease from pouring out. They don't hold this back or that back. For the Lord their God calls them to pour out yet more, yet more. And when, oh, when. For I would show you this. I would show it to you until you're engulfed by the revelation of it. Behold, he was poured out unto death. Yea, and behold, is there a corner of the earth where he has not come? Is there a place in heaven or beneath that he has not reached? Is there a place locked up against him now? Behold, the one who is poured out, the one who among you will be poured out this very moment and stop holding anything back. <coughs> Pour out. Behold, as you do the earth, all things shall become yours. All things shall become yours. Heaven shall become yours. Things that are beneath, that came from beneath, shall come yours. Death shall be yours. Life shall be yours. Peter shall be yours. Paul shall be yours. Everything shall be yours. Even the enemies shall somehow serve you if you will be poured out, if you will be poured out. And so the calling comes to you to pour out and continue to pour out, to hold not back anything, to nourish no hurt or hate in your heart, no bitter thought, no unforgiving thing, to hold not back one thing, no sin, no sin, nothing at all.
and all things shall become yours. Behold, this is the pathway of the saints. Mm. This is the pathway of the saints of God. This is the pathway cut through by the pioneer of your faith. God. Amen. So hold not back. Amen, Lord. But be ye poured out now. Lord, the burden on your back shall fall away. The angers that lie dormant within you, that seeds shall be dissolved out, and you shall be clean. Oh, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Father. Ah, and I shall come to you again and again. I shall come. I shall come to you with this same word. For it is the time when I come to you and say, Oh, all, pour out all. I shall come to you again and again with the same message. Hold not back. Hold not back. I shall come to you again and again with the same message. Go forward, go forward. Hold not back. I shall come to you again and again and call you same message again and again. Mm. <clears throat> well, it's the time of that message. Jesus. To all your hearts. And I shall come to the churches and some shall resist me but some shall not and I shall break through and there shall be great division <coughs> some assemblies and there shall be great hurts that shall come to some who will keep their hearts adamantly opposed who will not break they shall be broken and it shall occur for the day shortly come upon you when the call to a total givenness, a total poured outness, a continuing pouring out, a holding not back, the time is upon you for this, and you shall be recompensed. O oh, people of God, you shall be recompensed. Blessed is he who gives it shall be given unto him. Blessed is he who is poured out. It shall be poured out upon him. Peace and gladness shall be poured out upon him. And the blessed spirit of fulfillment shall be his or hers who pours out. And the recompense shall be so weighty and wonderful. Mm. Yes, for I am no man's debtor, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. Glory to God. Amen. Glory to God.